Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. As you do so, you can open up your Bibles. Uh, We're going to be in Psalm 30 this morning, Psalm 30, as we uh, continue in this selection of psalms uh, during the summer. And uh, the title of the sermon this morning is Proclaiming His Praise, Proclaiming His Praise, and you'll see why uh, in a moment. Uh, But I want to start by actually talking for a moment about the context of this psalm. You'll notice that it says on there that it is a song for the dedication of the temple. But if you think about it for a moment, David was not alive when the temple was dedicated. And so there's a few different theories on the context that uh, perhaps the, the word is actually house. So it could have been David dedicating his palace. It could have been that he wrote it knowing that the temple would be dedicated or that they just read it at the dedication um, I think there's really good reason to believe, especially when you think of when you read when we read the psalm in a moment, you'll see that um, when David dedicated the site of the temple, I don't know if you remember what happened during that time, right before that, is when he numbered the troops, and then the Lord punished him, and then he pleaded for mercy, and then he celebrated when God answered the prayer. And so I think there's good reason to believe that the context of this psalm is that David wrote it when he dedicated the site of the temple. But then when they dedicated the temple when it was built, they went back and said, yeah, that's the one we're reading. And even to this day, this psalm is still read at Hanukkah, which is celebrating the uh, dedication of the temple. But regardless of the circumstances of when and where, that's not as important as why it would be used at a temple dedication. I don't know if you've been to a dedication ceremony before. Uh, maybe of a memorial or something like that. I've been to a, a number of these. I think I went to a, a ship's commissioning when I was in the military. And, uh, but maybe you've just been to a ceremony where it happens like this, where um, you have a speaker who will talk about um, the past and how we got to where we are today, and then you sort of dedicate that thing for what it's going to continue to do. So it's a celebration, right? A dedication is a celebration. It's celebrating where we've come from, and celebrating where we're going. The same, if you think about it, very similar to what we did by bringing Neil and Trista up here this morning and and welcoming Pastor Neil here, right? We're celebrating God's faithfulness to us this far. He's answered these prayers, but we're much more excited about what's going to happen, right? About the ministry that is to come. We didn't just stop and say, "Ah, God brought a new pastor, so we're good now, right? That's just starting. It's just beginning. And so that's what's going on here in this psalm, the context. It's a dedication. And that's why uh, what David's doing here is he's praising God for what God's done while also praising God for what he will continue to do. And specifically in this psalm, David is praising God for how he's rescued him in the past and how he will continue to have favor on him even now. You can see why the Israelites would even keep that for a temple dedication, right? You think they could relate that God had repeatedly rescued them, but is continuing to show them favor as well? It's important for us to adopt that same attitude, to praise God for the ways in which he has rescued us and to praise God for his favor on us. We'll unpack that a little bit as we go on. But the main idea of this psalm is that we praise God for his rescue and his favor. Now, I know that you have a different main idea in your bulletin if you're looking at it right now. Um, that's because I just felt it was a little bit, what's in there is still correct. It's not a typo. I just, as I prayed and rehearsed this, I just wanted it to be a little tighter. 
Um, and so it's still true, right? We praise God all the time because he's good to us. Um, but specifically, we praise God for his rescue and his favor. And so I'm going to read the text. I'd encourage you to follow along. And then after, when I get to the end of Psalm 30, I'm going to pray and we'll continue. So Here's Psalm 30. It's a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity that I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong, but you hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing of your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. That's the word of the Lord for us this morning. Before we go any further, I want to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this beautiful, wonderful text that we have before us. God, we thank you for uh, the ways in which we see your faithfulness and your goodness. God, we pray this morning that your word would penetrate our soul and our spirits. Lord, we pray that your word would not come back void. We pray the same thing, Lord, for, uh, for Mike Potter and Foothills Fellowship. Lord, that as they open your word this morning, they would also uh, be enhanced in their, their love and their worship of you. God, we continue to pray for uh, Pastor Mike on his sabbatical, that he also, is, as he finds rest, is finding rest uh, in you. And God, we pray this morning that uh, you would have your way with us uh, through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as you can see, the theme is praise. We see that throughout uh, the psalm, but that praise, it comes on the heels of crisis and trouble. And so it's rich. This poem is rich with language of God's rescue and favor for his people. And so we'll start by talking about that rescue and how we should praise God for his rescue. We should praise God for his rescue. That's what David's doing here in the first three verses. He is extolling or praising God for how he's rescued him. And he's using pretty grave imagery here, right? He says, you've brought up my soul I cried to you and you healed me. You restored my life. Now, there could be some hyperbole in this because it is a poem, and poetry, as we're going to see, uses very rich and vivid imagery and will use sharp contrast and parallelism. parallelism. But, there's, but this could also be quite literal because we know that we've seen in the, in the Word, in the Bible, that God has often brought back David from the brink of death. Right Now, most scholars actually believe that he's probably referring to an illness or a sickness here. But either way, what David is demonstrating for us is that what we should do is we should be careful and, and, and uh, intent on remembering what God has done for us. 
We should never forget what God has done for us. For some of us, we have dramatic stories of healing and restoration in our life. Maybe it's your testimony of how you came to know Jesus. Or maybe it's just parts of your life as a Christian or before a Christian where God has rescued you. I know I can think of times in my life, both as a believer, even before I was a believer, where I look back and think, I, I don't even think I should be alive, right? Or maybe I should be in jail. I don't know. But, um, but, but, but I've seen that God has had his hand in my life in different ways. In his rest. Some of you have probably been in jail and been really sick and have seen God restore you. I think that all of us, if we're being honest, we can find ways that God has rescued us, right? Ways that God has worked in your life. Maybe it's not as dramatic as being brought back from the brink of death, but just think of answered prayers in your life. Just think of ways that God has answered prayer, even for the simple things in your life. And for all of us that are believers, those of us that believe in Jesus, our souls have been rescued from Sheol. Our lives have been rescued from the pit. We have been given new life. God has imputed on us victory over sin and death. And so if nothing else, if nothing else, we can extol God for the fact that we have been rescued from the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sin. Of course, that is for believers, right? That's for believers, those who have confessed in their own inability to save themselves and they believe that Jesus has suffered that wrath on their behalf. And if you believe that, you've been rescued. And praise God for that. But we should ask ourselves, do we ever take the time to thank God for the things that he's done in our life? I think we struggle here as Christians. I think we often are just too quick to move on to the next thing. I see this as a pastor because we get all kinds of prayer requests. We don't get that many praises. So a lot of times we're following up. Hey, how did that thing go? And I'm guilty of it too. We're guilty of it, right? We're praying and constantly asking God. He does it and we just move on. So we need to make sure that we take time to remember the things that God is doing in our life. Take note of those things. Remember your testimony of how you came to even know Jesus. But if we're honest, and some of you may be feeling this already, there's a little bit of tension in the text here. Because we think of the prosperity gospel, which tells us that God, that, that, that if we have enough faith, that God will always prosper us, or he'll always heal us, or he'll always do those things for us. And so there's this tension because David is actually talking about a very real and tangible experience. God actually healed him. Right? God actually brought him back from the brink of death. We see examples of this in the Bible. But at the same time, we know that's not always our experience, is it? Sometimes. Sometimes God rescues us from the trials and tribulations of, of this earthly life and of our body. But sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we don't see that. Does that mean that God isn't faithful? Of course not. It's because our perspective is limited. And so sometimes we, sometimes we need to have a, 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 a spiritual or even an eternal perspective of God's rescue and salvation. And we actually begin to see that perspective when we move into the next section in verses 4 through 7, where we see that our praise, it's not based on our circumstances. It's not based on prosperity or health. It's based on God's favor for us. And that favor, that favor is not prosperity. There's blessings that are involved. But let's talk about God's favor, right? So we, we should pray God for his favor. That's what we're going to see in 4 through 7. 
twice in this section. The reason I call it God's favor is because we see favor twice. We see it in verse 5, where he says that his anger is for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. In verse 7, he says, by your favor, O Lord. And so let's look at some of the ways in which God bestows his favor. And you're going to find that the ways in which God bestows his favor here is not circumstantial. It's not based on prosperity or health. And also, what we see in this text is not exhaustive or comprehensive either. It's just what we see in this text. And the first thing that we see is we see that part of God's favor is that we belong to God. We belong to a holy God. He moves from individual praise in verses 1 through 3 of what God has done for him specifically to an invitation to all the saints. He says, sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. In other words, David's not the only one that God bestows favor upon. David's not the only one that God is good to. He bestows favor upon all of his saints. Part of his favor is that he even includes us among the saints. And how does that happen? How do we become one of these saints that God bestows favor upon or who enjoys God's rescue? Well, the Catholic Church would tell us that the sainthood is granted after death. To achieve, and to achieve that status, you have to lead a heroically virtuous life, which I'm out there. So, um, and you also have to perform miracles or be martyred. But it's not just there. It's, it's other religions that believe in sort of the sainthood. And I think we as Christians, particularly when we don't have a good grasp of the word, God, I think we fall into that trap as well, right? We think that to be a saint, we have to be this special kind of Christian. But a quick search of God's word, a quick word search even, not even an in-depth study, will tell you more than you need to know or to confirm that it's those who are in Christ Jesus who are called saints. I was just looking at some of the things that Paul writes. He... he Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 1, Ephesians 1, Philippians 1, Colossians 1, and Jude 1 all start in the greeting, the very beginning of the letter, about the saints who are in Christ Jesus. And so you can quickly come to the conclusion that those, those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior are the ones who are called saints. Without the death of Christ, we're all separated from God, right? Because of our sin. We deserve wrath, not favor. But when we believe that Jesus took that wrath for us, then God sets us apart as his children, as one of his heirs, as one of his saints. And if you're a believer, say amen, right? If you're a believer, amen. If you're not a believer, then you need to know that God has already done the work to rescue you and to show you his favor through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for you to receive that, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to be good enough. You just need to confess and believe that Jesus took that punishment on your behalf so you can be reconciled in your relationship to God. And, if you, and, and for those of us who are God's people, those of us who are believers, then this very next verse that we're going to see in verse 5 is one of the most beautiful and one of the sweetest verses in all of scriptures, I think. I would encourage you to memorize this. I'd encourage you to memorize 4 and 5. 
For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Church, this is the perspective that we must have if we are going to praise God in all the circumstances of our life. When we face hard times on earth, we need to remember and trust that his favor is forever and that joy will come. We need to remember that on the other side of our problems is praise, that on the other side of our struggle is salvation, that on the other side of our grief is God. And he makes this point with two fairly sharp contrasts. First, he says that his anger is for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. His favor is forever. When we face hardship or difficulty, even if it's from God's anger or his discipline, we need to remember that in the long run, God is working for our good and and he is sanctifying us. We trust that when we're going through difficulty, it doesn't mean that you've lost favor with God. It means that he's either trying to produce something in your life or he might be disciplining you. Sometimes we don't like that truth, but it is truth. In fact, I think we need to remember what the Bible teaches us about how God produces fruit through hardship and discipline. And in Romans 5, we're told to rejoice in suffering because it produces endurance and character and hope. We're told to, have, to count, count it joy when we face trials because it produces steadfastness or perseverance. And regarding discipline, we see in Deuteronomy 8 and Hebrews 12 that even though discipline's not pleasant... It's a product of love. I love this verse in Job. This is Job 5, 17 and 18. Blessed is the one whom God corrects. And so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. And so church, we should praise God that he's working even in our difficult circumstances. Even when those circumstances don't seem praiseworthy. Even when we don't feel like praising God. Because we're not praising our circumstances. We're praising our God. Also remember this, that whatever it is, it's only for a moment. Now I know some of you want to laugh. Some of you want to cry. Some of you probably want to throw something at me right now. Because it doesn't always feel like a moment, does it? And I would encourage you to remember, like I said, that this is poetry, so it does have some very vivid language. And so we have to accept that moment is somewhat of a relative term here. It doesn't mean seconds or minutes, like we like to define it on our watch. It just means that it's temporary. Because however long that thing is, it actually is a moment when it's compared to forever. And forever is how long God's favor endures for his people. And so what are you going through? What are you going through right now? What hardship or struggle are you wrestling with? Maybe even it's, it might even be a consequence of your own sin. I want you to think, and I want you to go home this week and pray about what, what God might be doing in your life in and through that thing. He might be, and forgive me for saying this, he might be developing patience. He might be trying to teach you something. He might be drawing you into a greater faith and reliance upon him. But there's more to this than just remembering that God is doing something. Because that doesn't necessarily bring joy, right? But God will bring joy. That's what the second part of verse 5 says. 
that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. God will bring joy. God will bring us joy. We may weep for our circumstances, and we may weep over things of this world, but God will produce joy. Again, it's important for us to understand perspective here because we all know that weeping doesn't always last for just one night, right? Many of you know this. You've experienced sorrow that lasts for a long time. Some of you are experiencing that right now, and maybe it's been for a long time. But again, poetry, think of night and morning as seasons. Think of it as seasons of darkness and light. And sometimes that season of darkness is just a day. Sometimes it's weeks, months, maybe even decades. But what's more important than just sitting around and waiting for joy to come is knowing where joy is found. Because joy has to be found in God himself, not in those things. If we put joy in anything else, then it's not going to come in the morning because those things aren't going to come back. Now, I know that there's some exceptions. If, you, if, you really, if your car brings you a lot of happiness, right, and you get in a car wreck, you can go buy another car and you'll be happy again. But what happens when that example becomes the loss of a loved one or a relationship or money or a career or a home? Those things aren't coming back. And so if you have placed all of your joy into that thing, then you're not going to get it back. But if joy is found in knowing the one true God, then we can be assured of joy even in the most difficult circumstances. It doesn't mean your pain's going to go away forever. It doesn't mean you won't weep again. It doesn't mean that you can't experience a lament and, and, and mourning and sadness. It simply means that when our joy is found in God, in knowing Him and being known by Him, rather than in the things of this world, then we can still have joy in the darkest of times. I know some of you probably really need to hear that this morning. And if you don't, you will need to hear it at some point. And let me encourage you with a few verses like Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Think of Romans 8, 38 and 39. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If you can't find any other comfort, perhaps you can find some comfort in this. In Revelation 21, this is our promised future as believers. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. If you can't find joy in anything else, you should be able to find joy in that. And the reason that we can find joy in those promises even now is because our joy is based on God's presence 
not on, God, on, not on our circumstances. In fact, that's what we see in the next section, in verses 6 through 7. We see that we should embrace, we should embrace the presence of God. We should embrace God's presence. Got to find my spot here. I lost it. And maybe you don't see that when you look at 6 and 7, but, le- but let's read it. As for me, I said in my prosperity that I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong and you hid your face. I was dismayed. Let's discuss verse 6 for a moment, right? It's possible that this is a good thing, right? He's saying, hey, and when I was doing well, I praised God. That's great. But more than likely, David has become complacent in his prosperity. Think of him numbering the troops. David was enjoying the good life and assumed that that was just God's lot for him in life. And I think maybe we can relate to that. I think probably the entire modern Western church is probably guilty of this in some sense, of some complacency. But this is where things get interesting. God wants to get David's attention in that complacency and pride. And so what does he do? Does he take away the prosperity and all that stuff? Look at the end of verse 7. Why was David dismayed? David was dismayed because God hid his face from him. God wanted David to see that the most important thing in life was not the prosperity. It wasn't the earthly blessing. It was God's presence. It was God himself. You see, God's favor is not dependent upon any prosperity or circumstances. God certainly blessed David, and God blesses many of us with tangible and earthly things. But being rich doesn't mean that God favors you. Being famous or beautiful or powerful, none of those things enhance God's favor. In fact, what often happens to people who have all of those things, but they don't have God? Despair and depression, terrible things. And on the flip side of that, what if you have none of that? What if you have none of that prosperity, but you have faith and you have hope and you have an assurance of your eternal salvation? Then you can praise God no matter what. Because because he's present with you. And because we have the promise of eternal presence with him forever. And so take a moment, church, and think about the most important thing or things in your life. What is the most important thing in your life? And I want to ask you this. Would you be more dismayed if God took that thing from you? Or would you be more dismayed if God withdrew his presence from you? Ask yourself, is that thing, whatever is most important to you, or many things, are those things making you complacent? Are they keeping you from embracing and and pursuing God's presence? Even now, I'm not just talking about keeping you from heaven for eternity. I'm talking about even now, God is present with us. What is keeping you from pursuing and enjoying God's presence even now? And if you're having a hard time thinking of something, let me ask a few clarifying questions. What keeps you from church? I'm not talking about sickness or vacation. Those things happen. What keeps you from coming to church? Now, I know that God's presence isn't only at church, so let me ask a few other questions. What keeps you from your own personal devotions and your own quiet times with the Lord? What's keeping you from pursuing God's presence and enjoying his presence in your own personal life? What's keeping you from family worship? 
What is more important than those things that is making you complacent? What is keeping you from enjoying and embracing the riches of God's presence? David is saying that God's presence was more important than any prosperity or earthly blessing. Because it was when he hid his face that David was dismayed. And so we praise God. We praise God for his rescue and we praise God for his favor. But what does this praise look like? What does it look like to praise God? Is it just something that we sing on Sunday mornings? Is it something that we, we, we write down maybe in a notebook or that we recite in a prayer? Those are all good things, and I would actually encourage all of those things. But fortunately for us, in verses 8 through 12, we see David demonstrate a number of ways in which we can praise God with our lives. We should praise God with our lives. We're going to see David in this section. In 8 through 12, we're first going to see him cry out for God to spare his life so that he can commit it to proclaiming his faithfulness. And then we're going to see him celebrate how God does transform his life. And so first, let's look at 8 through 10, where we see, that, where we see David praise God by crying out to him in prayer. And we should cry out to the Lord in prayer. And you might be thinking, Brian, how is crying out to the Lord in prayer a form of praise? Well, doesn't it make sense if we just spent all this time talking about God's rescue and his favor that we would desire to ask God to rescue us and to show us his favor? I think parents can relate to this. Don't you feel honored when your children love you and trust you enough to come to you with their needs? Now, some of you with little ones are probably kind of laughing. They come to me with all of their needs. And then those of you who have older children are probably saying, you better enjoy it, because one day they won't, or they might not. If your children go to somewhere else to get their needs met, you're probably jealous or sad or angry, right? Because you want them to come to you because you've earned their love and their trust. And in the same way, David here is pleading with God to have mercy on him, not because he's asking God to prove himself, but because he knows that God is a merciful God. David has seen God's mercy and goodness towards his people, and he's crying out for more of that. So the application here is fairly simple. Are you a man or a woman of prayer? Do you cry out to God? If we claim to believe that God is merciful and sovereign and faithful, shouldn't our prayer lives re reflect that? Oh, that we would be people who long to cry out to our God. And then here in verse 9, we see that we can praise God with our lives by telling of his faithfulness. By telling of his faithfulness because he's, he's crying out for this, this mercy But he's saying, if you spare my life, I will tell of you. He actually says, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Now, the answer to that is actually probably yes. Because we know in Luke 19, Jesus says that the rocks will cry out. You can read in Psalm 114 that the mountains leap. And in Isaiah 55, the, the trees clap. But what David is saying is, I want to tell of your faithfulness. Have mercy on me so I can tell of your 
faithfulness. He doesn't say, if you give me more power or money or, or concubines or whatever it is, he says, if you allow me to live. And so church, if you've experienced God's mercy, if he has given you new life, shouldn't we have a deep conviction to tell others about it? If you walked out this door after church and you were walking through the parking lot and you, you were about to get hit by a car and somebody grabbed you and saved your life, you'd probably say thank you. You would probably take them out to lunch and you'd probably tell everybody about it. You'd certainly post it on Facebook, right? Well, guess what? Better than your earthly life being saved is your eternal life. And by God's mercy, he has saved your life for eternity through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? It is, right? So then let's go tell others about it. Just like David vows to do here, our lives should be dedicated to proclaiming God's faithfulness. Now, that certainly needs to be through our words. People don't hear about Jesus without us telling them. But we also proclaim God's faithfulness through our, our, not just our words, but our works and through our worship. In fact, look at the next part in verse 11, how, how David does this. He says, you've turned my mourning into dancing, my sackcloth into gladness. He's dancing. We should dance, church. Some of you might not want to dance. But the point is that there is an outward expression of the joy that David has. He is outwardly demonstrating his gladness, and we should too. We should demonstrate our gladness. Now, I'm not saying that you have to walk around all the time just, just happy and giddy and, and with this huge smile and whatever. That, that you, might, you might be in one of those seasons of sorrow. I, am often, I have often in my life been accused of being too stoic. People will say, Brian, you don't look happy. Brian, and that's, my happy face is like this, and my sad face looks like this, right? So that's, that's, that's who I am. But, but, but part of that is I also am convicted that I need to make sure that there's joy in my heart and in my life. And that comes across different ways, right? So for example, in the way that I share my testimony with people, I'm making sure I'm talking about that. When I got saved, I would go home and I would see my friends. I didn't have very many Christian friends back home from before I got saved. And, they, and I remember one of them said, I never thought I'd live to see the day that Brian Almeida willingly walked into a church. And I said, me neither. And then I started to tell them about, about how God had changed my life and brought me joy in something else that I was chasing all these other things. So some of it is, can be simply in how we describe our testimony, and our lives. But David literally danced, right? There's another example of that in the scriptures as well. David literally danced. And so if God has transformed your life, why wouldn't you celebrate that? We should celebrate that. I, <laughs> perhaps one of the most immediate applications, and this is, this is sort of a, 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 if the shoe fits, wear it kind of thing, okay? But um, well, an immediate application is Sunday mornings, Seriously, for some of you, why the long face, right? We'll be singing praises about Jesus' death and resurrection, and there's some of you, I don't know, I just I don't get it, okay? So um, I, some of you I know are contemplating and that kind of stuff, but I would encourage you, lean into it, right? The death and resurrection of Jesus should fire you up. And then we get to this last part. Here's the last part in verse 12 where he says, give thanks forever. That, may, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. 
Church, I simply want to say this. Never stop praising God. Don't be silent. Never. Regardless of your circumstances. Praise him for how he has and how he continues to rescue you. Praise God for his favor. When things are going well, praise God. When things are not going well, praise God. Because if you are one of his, then you know that his favor is not based on those circumstances. It is based on his presence. And it is forever. And his joy will come. So give thanks to him forever. Because he rescues you. And because he bestows favor upon you. We give thanks forever. And fortunately for us, as we transition a little bit here, but related, is that Jesus himself actually gave us an ordinance to practice in order to thank him forever. He told his disciples, essentially said, that one way you can give thanks to me forever is by remembering what I've done. And so he institutes the Lord's Supper. And we're going to come to the Lord's table in a moment. And what the Lord's Supper does is it does something very similar to what we just saw in this passage. On one hand, it's, it's a remembrance. In fact, it's primarily a remembrance, right? Do this in remembrance of me, remembering God's faithfulness through the person and work of Jesus. But on the other hand, that, that, that remembrance also encourages us to have confidence in his continued faithfulness and in his promise of a return. That's why in 1 Corinthians 11, when we read about the Lord's Supper, he says, um, for as often as you eat of this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we come to the table, church, we want to remember, we are both remembering God's past faithfulness as well as proclaiming his continued faithfulness. And so church, we're going to come forward. There are three tables up front and there's two in the back. There's one here and one over there that have a gluten-free option and the gold plates. And we practice open communion here, which means you do not have to be a member of our church, but you do need to be a believer to partake in the Lord's Supper with us. If you're not a believer, we would kindly ask you to refrain. I would implore you to take this time to think about God's rescue and the fact that you don't have to go and earn it and earn his favor because it's already been given to you. But for those of you that are believers, I would encourage you, come up, grab the elements, take them back to your seats, and then we will partake together. So church, why don't you come to the table?
Remember God's rescue. Not just how he's rescued you in this life, but how he's rescued you through the person and work of Jesus. Take a moment to praise God for his favor. And how that's been demonstrated to us by his, his adopting us, his sanctifying us, his bringing of joy for us. And praise God for the promise of his presence, both now and, and forever in glory. The rest of that text in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the cup together. And like I mentioned ago, he then says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so church, we both remember God's past faithfulness as well as proclaiming God's continued faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the truth that we have seen in your word this morning. God, we thank you for your rescue. We thank you for the way in which you've, uh, the, you rescue us sometimes and, and from different earthly and tangible circumstances and, and things. God, more than that, we thank you for what we just celebrated in the Lord's Supper, which is the ultimate rescue from eternal death. And God, we thank you for your favor. We thank you that we can be called saints, that we could be included among your children. Father, we thank you that your favor is forever and that your joy is inevitable. We thank you for your presence your presence with us now and the promise that we will be present with you in heaven forever. And God, we pray for strength. We pray for strength and boldness to live out our praise. God, we confess ways in which we don't praise you enough. We confess in, which, in the ways in which we don't, we don't cry out to you as a result of who you are. And God, we pray that you would help us to make the most of opportunities to tell others of your faithfulness. Pray that you would help us to, uh, we pray that you would bring gladness to our hearts that would be reflected in our lives, that you have transformed us. Father, we, may we praise you and thank you forever for the rescue and favor of your people. 
that was made possible by your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray all these things. Amen.